Hallelujah. Good morning, good morning. Um, I want to start with something that I heard recently, uh, knowing that God says, laughter or a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So I want to tell you a joke, and uh, I preface this by again saying, it might not be as theologically accurate as you usually uh, appreciate coming from me. But it's a joke, okay? So, a woman died and uh, went to heaven and was met at the pearly gates by St. Peter. And when she got there, he stopped her and said, "Uh, excuse me, uh, can I help you? And she says, well, I don't know. I'm hoping to be able to go into heaven. And he says, all right, well, the only way into heaven is you have to be able to spell a word correctly. She thought for a minute, she says, okay, I was never a very good speller, but what word? He says, well, it doesn't matter. You pick the word. Really? Great. So she said, okay, I spell the word love, L-O-V-E, love. He says, congratulations, you can go in. She was thrilled. She started to walk in through the gates, and he stopped her for a minute. He says, "Um, excuse me, I know this is unusual, but I have to use the bathroom. Would Would you mind guarding the gate for me for a while? And she says, well, okay, but what do I do if somebody dies and comes? He goes, well, it's the same for everybody. Everybody just has to spell a word. Well, all right, I guess I can do that. And so he goes away, and she waits for a minute. And then all of a sudden, out of the mist of time, she saw a figure walking towards her. And to her horror, it was her ex-husband. And he walked up to her and says, what are you doing here? I don't know. I was just out playing golf on Sunday morning instead of going to church, and I hit a hole in one. And I was running around the golf course doing cartwheels and jumping and yelling and screaming when all of a sudden I had a heart attack and I found myself here. She says, is this heaven? She goes, no, no, no. You're at the gate of heaven. That's heaven. She goes, well, do I get to go in? She says, well, the rule is the same for everybody. You have to spell a word. And he says, oh, what word? And she thought for a minute and she said, Czechoslovakia. Okay, not theologically correct, but. So how was your 4th of July? Did you have a good time? Uh, Kavern and I uh, had a nice, relaxing time. Uh, First, we watched the parade with our grandkids, which was really fun, watching them snatch candy from the other kids and from me. Um, And to see Caleb, every single fire truck, He'd turn and he'd look and he'd go, big truck, big truck. So it was a lot of fun. And then on the actual 4th, uh, we just kind of whimsically decided to drive down to Canandaigua. And we sat at the lake and we read and we watched the water and the boats and the weird people go by. Uh, it was just a really nice, relaxing day. And then we came back, hurried back in order to be able to see the fireworks, which, by the way, I think were some of the best fireworks Warsaw has ever had. It was a really nice time. And I hope that your 4th of July Independence Day week was as enjoyable as ours. Um, When I sat down to write out this message or to type it out, which is my want, uh, I started with uh, two pages front and back of notes. I put them on my desk beside me with the intention of going from it. I put them down. And other than the uh, joke 
that I just told you, I never looked at it again. I, I just started typing and found that my heart, my mind, everything in me went in a completely different direction than what I had planned. And for those of you that came today anticipating a science experiment, I apologize. It's not going to happen today. Um, I know, I know it, the last one worked so well. Um, I actually taught science in a Christian school for a while, knowing very little about science. So every experiment I would do ahead of time, sometimes many times, before I could get it right, before I would go do it for the class. Um, I don't know, is that normal, Jeff, that you have to do them ahead of time? Or do you just experiment and figure if it fails, it fails? Uh, it's good information, good data, good. Um, this message today is simple but I think it's profound. I think it's a good reminder. In fact, I honestly think it's a God reminder. And I think it's actually somewhat um, piggybacking on what Pastor Jonathan said during worship. So I appreciated that as an encouragement to me. And I believe it will be a good lead-in to what I feel to say next week. So if you want to see that science experiment next week, we thought we were going to be able to project it up on the screens for you to see better. We're not. Uh, Nick did some checking, and it's just not going to work easily. So with that in mind, if you want to be able to see better, you're going to have to sit closer. That's all I'm saying, okay? So if you want to be able to see what happens in that experiment, come prepared for that next week. Um, last week, we heard testimonies from the folks who went to camp, uh, and they met with God there. And I, I want to just again say I sincerely thank you for your testimonies, for those of you that were here to give testimony, except for Sam and Ashley. Um, they, uh, they skipped out on us, but uh, I believe that Camp Judah is a special place. I believe that God meets with the kids there in ways that uh, are life-impacting, that set the course of their lives for years to come. I met not so very long ago with the elders of Elam Fellowship, um, and in the midst of it, I asked the question, how many of you guys ever had a camp experience? And I would say that 80% of them, 80% of the elders of Elam Fellowship said they went to camp, got saved at camp, and got filled with the Holy Spirit and actually received their call to ministry while at camp. So it has the potential of being significant in the lives of so many. And those testimonies were about how God met with them uniquely and individually but it also was encouraging to us because it meant that God could meet with us in the same way. Because isn't it true that God meets with us in our everyday lives? We don't have to go to camp. I'm not in any way minimizing the importance of camp. You already know that. I've already said it. But it does say something about us that we wait for camp to have an encounter with God. Or we wait for church. When the truth is, God encounters us on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, we can hear the whispers and the thunders of God in our everyday life, in small, little serendipities, as well as in mighty moves of this all-powerful God. Um, how many of you remember the occasion in Jesus' life in which, towards the very end, he came to a little town called Gethsemane? And there he went into a garden. You remember that occasion at the very end of his life? He was seeking the Father's heart, knowing what was coming, and he took along with him his band of disciples. And then once he got there and they were all kind of settled, 
he took three of them and went a little bit farther into the garden where he prayed. And the scripture tells us that he prayed so passionately that he even sweat drops of blood. But you, you can read the prayer yourself. In John chapter 17, he prayed it. But also, you remember the most, perhaps the most famous and well-known line of that prayer was, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And when he had finished that prayer, he said, my hour has come, the hour of his suffering, which he had foretold. And as they went out from that secluded place, one of his disciples who wasn't present, Judas, came and met him and kissed him on the cheek. And Jesus said to Judas, Judas, do you betray me with a kiss? And at that moment, there was like this commotion among all of them because Judas didn't come alone. He came with a whole band of soldiers carrying clubs and swords and lamps and torches. But there was a commotion, and the Scripture tells us that one of Jesus' disciples took a sword and he cut off one of the guy's ears. John, in his Gospel, tells us that the disciple who did it was Peter. And the guy whose ear got cut off was Melchus. And I, I took a little bit of time thinking about that. By the way, Jesus tells Peter, put your sword away. It's not time for that. I don't know if you've thought about it, but I took some time this week thinking about why did he bother? He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to die an ignominious death of agony on a cross. He had already foretold that. He told his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to lay down my life. He knew he was going to die. He knew it would be hard. He had just been praying about that very thing, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Why bother with this guy's ear, who, by the way, is an antagonist? He was an opponent, an enemy of Christ. Why bother healing him of all people? Why take the time? Why make the time? And I want to suggest to you, and this is kind of where I'm going today, I believe that act was a love note from God. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a love note? How, how many of you remember your first love note? I got mine in second grade. Second grade, I sat next to this little girl who had red hair. Her name, I still remember her name. Her name was Rebecca Getmeyers. And it was Valentine's Day. And she gave me a little Valentine candy that said, be my friend. And my heart melted. That was my first. We get love notes throughout our lives. But I believe this was a love note from God. But my question is, love notes have to have a recipient. You have an author, obviously. Someone who scribed that note. But you have to have a recipient. Who did this love note go to? 
I want to suggest that, first of all, it was for the soldiers. The boots on the ground. And remember, these were not just uh, your run-of-the-mill ordinary jarheads or G.I. Joes or anything like that. The Scripture is clear. The Scripture tells us that these were soldiers of the Pharisees and the chief priests. These were religious soldiers. When you think of these soldiers, how, how many of you have ever seen like videos or pictures of Vatican City? Have any of you ever been to the Vatican City, by the way? Yeah, yeah. And out in front of Vatican City are these Swiss guards that guard this small but extremely rich nation city. Well, that's kind of what these soldiers were. These were religious soldiers on the ground. Now think about it. If you were a soldier sent to arrest somebody, you're going to go arrest Jesus. What, what's going on in your mind? I would suggest to you absolutely nothing other than when they can get done and go back to the barracks and eat. Because that's kind of how soldiers think. You do your duty. You do your job. We're commanded to arrest this guy. And we know that we can't legally arrest him unless there is justifiable cause under our own laws. So they have to assume there was cause. Early on, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, who were like the lawyers of the day, who made sure every T was crossed, every I was dotted, these guys all got together and they decided that they didn't like Jesus very much. In fact, Matthew chapter 12 says that they got upset with Jesus enough to want to kill him. Do you know why? Because he did something on the Sabbath that they didn't like. Do you remember what it was? He healed somebody. And they decided they didn't like him because he healed on the Sabbath, and that was disallowed. And that was bad enough. But by the end of Matthew chapter 12, when they're challenging Jesus and Jesus is having a conversation with them, he says, you'll forgive me, but I must do that which my Father in heaven is doing. And they got upset and they said, blasphemy. You just said God is your Father laying claim that you are equal to God. And they wanted to kill him. So here these soldiers come along. They knew all of that. I mean, there there's been all kind of talk around the barracks. You know there is, because that's just how people are. There's talk around churches. There's talk around barracks. And they knew this Jesus, he just had to go. He had to die. And so they came to arrest him. And that commotion happens, and an ear is cut off. And then they watch Jesus pick that ear up and put it back on this guy's head, if that's how he did. I don't know. Maybe he just, all the scripture says is he touched him. Maybe he grew a brand new ear. I don't know. But if you were a soldier at that moment in time, what might you be thinking? You're sent to arrest this guy who laid claim to be equal to God, and here he heals a guy's severed ear. I think if you're normal at all, which I suspect they were, they might have been thinking, you know, I don't know anybody that can reattach an ear that well. I don't know a doctor out there that could do it. They would just go ahead and put a Band-Aid over it. Is it just possible that he is who he says he is? They had to wonder. I think Jesus' healing of Melchus was a love note that God was sending to those soldiers. 
Maybe there's more to this story than what you think there are, guys. More than what you've been hearing in the barracks. Maybe he is the very Son of God. I think it's also a love note to his own disciples. Because remember, they'd been walking with him for two and a half, three years. They had seen him do amazing things. But this is a guy, think about it, this is a guy who heals people who are mute and they can speak. Deaf ears can hear. Blind eyes can see. Lame legs can walk. He feeds thousands with some scraps. He even raises the dead. I heard somebody say, well, God heals, but he doesn't heal injuries. He only heals diseases. And I'm thinking, no, this story clearly says he heals injuries. Are you nuts? He can do anything. And I think that's what he was doing. I think he was telling his disciples, listen, guys, I'm still who I said I was. I can still do what you saw me do all along. Don't worry. I'm still in control. This is not a battle for clubs and swords. This is a battle with principalities and powers. You don't have to worry. I've got this thing under control. I think it was a love note to his own disciples to say, it's okay. Don't fret. Don't get all up in arms. I've still got this. I wonder, by the way, how often in our lives we start fretting about things, getting all upset. God's done wonderful things for us, amazing things. He saved us. He cleansed us of our sins. He washed us clean. He's given us purpose for life. And things go hard and we begin to wonder, I don't know, maybe this thing isn't real after all. He comes along and he reminds us. But most of all, I think this was a love note to someone who wasn't even in the garden. I think this was a love note to someone who had to receive a delivery, a piece of mail. The scripture tells us that Melchus was the servant of the high priest. Do you remember who the high priest was that year? Caiaphas. His father, Annas, had been the high priest, but now it's Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. And you have to ask yourself, I mean, honestly, when you read the Bible, at least ask some questions. Don't just read it and say, oh, that's good information. Ask questions. Get into the story. Actually, do a little bit of imagination and enter into the life of what's going on. So the first thing I had to ask myself is, why was Melchus there? You got the soldiers to do your job. Why send Melchus? I would suggest to you, that the high priest wanted a reporter on the scene. He wanted somebody to come back and report to him what went on. And you can just about put sure money on it that that night later on, Melchus showed back up at Caiaphas' residence. And Caiaphas saw him and said, so how did things go tonight? Everything okay? So oh, it went fine. Everything. And what about this guy, Jesus. No, he's arrested. Everything is fine. He's before Pilate even right now. And about that time, as they've gotten closer and closer together, all of a sudden Caiaphas sees all the blood down the robe of, or of, of Melchus. He's got to him. You can't cut off an ear and not have some blood, right? I mean, come on, think about it. How many of you get a head wound, a little bit of a head wound? Like you just run into a branch and the thing bleeds like crazy. When, when, when our boys were little, 
um, they were playing in a nearby field. John was up in the tree and Jeremy was on the ground. And I don't know what was happening. I don't know if Jeremy was bugging John and it was on purpose or if it was just an accident. I don't know. We never know these things. But suddenly, a branch comes flying out of the tree and hits Jeremy in the head. He is bleeding like crazy. And again, I'm talking about like maybe, maybe like over the tops or something like that is how far away they were. There's still a field. There's like our house is here and there's a field and there's the trees back there. It was a ways away. Maybe not quite that far. I don't know. But it was a ways. So here's Jeremy laying on the ground, bleeding like crazy. John thinks he's killed him. John picks Jeremy up, carries him home the whole time calling for mom and dad. We get there and we see him and we think he's dead too. I mean, it was bad. But that's just from a little scratch on the head, a head wound. I don't know, has it even got a scar? I didn't think so. No scar even. Come on, there's no boasting in this if there's no scar. But here is is Melchus, his robes saturated with blood. And Caiaphas sees and says, wait a minute, was there a problem? Was there a fight or something? And in my mind's eye, I can just see Melchus kind of getting quiet and looking down and looking at his robe. He says, you're not going to believe this. When we went to arrest Jesus, one of his disciples took his sword and he cut my ear off. And I can just see Caiaphas looking at him, and looking at the side of his head, and looking at the other side of his head. What do you mean he cut your ear off? It looks fine. And I have to believe that Melchus was just unbelievably confused. Here he is, the servant of the high priest who's supposed to have all the answers and to be the religious guru of all. God's servant on earth. And yet this guy, Jesus, he says to Caiaphas, he touched my head and I was completely healed. I think this was a love note from God to God's high priest. Because the high priest was always God. God picked him, set him in. It was his man, his servant. I think it was the way that the father, because by the way, Jesus said, I only do what my father in heaven does. I think it was a love note from the father to Caiaphas saying, you know, it's not too late. You can change this whole thing. You can undo what you've been trying to do. It's time to start over. It was a love note from God to Caiaphas. And I believe that just as God spoke to you guys who went to camp, to the staff members, and he met with you in unique ways, each one individual, each one different. Some of you met with God in worship. Some of you met with God during the preaching. Some of you met with God during... uh, daily activities and in the events. Some of you met with God through the interaction with other people. But just as those were God's love notes to you, I would suggest to you that God regularly sends love notes to all of us. If we would but have eyes to see and ears to hear. God has a way of meeting each one of us 
in a way that can minister to our own soul. It, it might be something simple like the touch of a hand. Do you know, one of the things that we discovered when we used to go to nursing home ministry quite a bit is touch means a lot to folks in the nursing home. Did you know that? Um, they love it when you walk by them and you just, you just you recognize they're there by just the touch of your hand as you're going by. Um, and do you know it still matters to us? You don't have to wait till you're in a nursing home. It matters to us. The shaking of a hand matters. It's two men looking at one another and saying, you matter, I recognize you're here. You're important to me. Touch matters. Or for ladies, it's, you know, I, I watch ladies come into church and they see one another and their face lights up. They're happy to see one another and they hug. Ladies like to hug. Guys, guys, you know, we don't do that kind of stuff. We, we're, we shake hands. So my dad always, men shake hands. But ladies, ladies like, I just want, they don't even have to have a reason to hug. They just like to hug. Just, just hug. Um, God can show up in so many different ways. Um, yesterday, uh, we had a, a small uh, thing go on, and uh, there were a bunch of little kids. And so there was this uh, double stroller that there's actually for being pulled behind a bike, I think. So it wasn't easy to push around because it tends to pull. But I put um, three young kiddos in that, and I pushed them around for an hour. <laughs> an hour. And every time I would stop, Eden would say, do again. Do again. Okay. Or you got Naomi, who would start to stand up, and just stare at me. <laughs> what are you doing? Sometimes it's just stooping down to a kid's height and letting them know, I know you're here and you matter. And by the way, knowing their names matters. Knowing the kids' names says that you have an important place here with us. I think in the same way that that happens for us, we can encounter God in those moments if we choose to see his hand. You can encounter God I mean, think about it. How many of you have seen an amazing sunset that took your breath away? Uh, Karen and I last year went down. We don't often do this, but we went down to Florida for our vacation, and it was on the West Coast. So it's like in the Gulf. They are some of the most amazing sunsets. I mean, we've seen sunsets. They're beautiful. All of them are. But there, it was like, Take your breath away. Amazing. Everything in you wanted to worship God. When the sun would go down, it would go down lower and lower and lower. You, you might be out on a pier, like we were on a pier at one point, watching it with loads of people. The sun finally goes down. It's still light up, but it's down. Everybody starts cheering and clapping. This happens every night. But God meets with people. In a sunset. He meets with people, by the way, in fireworks. I was watching the fireworks the other night and I kept thinking, you know, there's going to be a day when we stand before God when these fireworks will pale in comparison to what will happen there. God has fireworks you haven't even dreamt of. 
And by the way, they're not fireworks, they're shooting stars, and they're angels winging all over the place. Although I'm waiting to see if we can fly myself, because I would really kind of like that. Either that or make the transporter happen, God. Okay, that would be good. Um, what I am suggesting to you today is look for God's love notes all around you. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who some of you have read some of his poetry, says this, Let us be silent that we might hear the whispers of God. Let me say it again. Let us be silent that we might hear the whispers of God. The, the premise of that statement is we have so many voices, so many sounds, so much activity. How do we still the voices enough to hear God's whispers? To see God in the midst of the everyday. So, my question to you is, how does God speak to us? How does God speak to you? I would suggest that a lot of you would probably say the Bible, right? Has God ever spoken to you from the Bible? You read the Bible and something jumped off at you and you felt like it was God's living word to you. Or sometimes it's that still small voice in our own heart, just a sense from God. Or sometimes it's the voice of leadership speaking direction and correction. Sometimes it's just the voice of a friend. God speaks to us in all kinds of different ways but I want to suggest to you today that God speaks far more than what we hear. God shows up far more than that which we're aware of. Because he does it in what I am calling, for lack of a better term, I couldn't find a better word. Somebody will help me. I call the little serendipities of life. Serendipitous encounters with God in the everyday. Is it possible that we're so busy just trying to survive parenting or grandparenting, or our marriage, or our job, or school, or you name it. Are we so busy just trying to survive that we miss out on God in our everyday? And our call is, God, let this merry-go-round stop for a while so I can get off. Have everything settled down. Stop all my activities so I can hear you. That's not the point. The point is not that you're too busy. The point is that you're not seeing God in your busyness. Because he's there, if you would but have eyes to see and ears to hear. He's all around you. I think a really good question to ask is a question that uh, I had asked to me once a long time ago, and I've asked many people since. What is God doing in the midst of all of it? Where is God in all of this? People come with problems. You know, their, their marriage is struggling. Other things are going on. My question to them is usually, okay, what is God doing in the midst of this? I don't know, but I know he wants to... He, my, my spouse needs to change. Okay, you're right. Your spouse does need to change. But what is God doing in you in the midst of all of this? Well, I'm not the problem. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, what is God doing in you in the midst of all of this? Not what is God doing in your spouse or in your boss or your teacher? What is God doing in you in the midst of all of this? Um, I said earlier that God can speak to us through people if we would have ears to hear. I, I know of a man out on the West Coast, California, 
who is a recognized prophet. I, I don't mean he has a gift of being able to speak prophetically. I mean he carries the office of prophet, well recognized by so many people. Uh, I mean, he is a man who has the voice of God. But he has an interesting style. He never, ever, ever says, thus saith the Lord. He won't even tell you what he's about to say. He believes is from God. He just talks to you. You have a conversation. And his statement is this. If in the midst of the conversation you hear the voice of God, well and good. If not, okay. It's on you. I'm just here to tell you. You're the one who chooses whether you hear the voice of God or not. I think so many times we don't hear the voice of God because all we hear are the words of our friends. When the truth is God might actually be speaking to us through the voice that is coming out of our friend's mouth. I wonder how often we miss God's encouragement, his direction, what he's doing in the midst of it all because we're too busy just, just trying to get through it. I am a person who is driven by nature. Um, I, I have that kind of personality. Uh, I, if anything can be done at 100%, I want to do it at 110%. I just, that's how I am. I'm all in. Um, and one of the things that I do when we go on vacation is I am, I am goal-oriented. My goal is to get there. And so along the way, I will regularly hear my wife say, I thought we were going to stop. We are. When we get there, we stopped easily two, three hours ago and you used the bathroom. What do you want? We're going somewhere. I am goal-oriented. And along the way, everything else is an impediment to be overcome. It's an obstacle. Cars are in my way and I have to figure out a way to get around them in order to get where I'm going. And I think a lot of times we live life that way. We miss God because we think we're going somewhere. But the truth is, it's not about your destination. That's already been settled. You know that. You're bound for heaven. The issue is not the destination. The issue is the journey. Can you learn to hear and find God in the journey? I have a friend. Um, this is a silly story. I know it, but it's true. I have a friend who was asked to speak at a conference. He prepared, felt pretty good about it. But on the way there with his wife driving in the car, he began to be more and more unsettled. Just, just didn't feel like he had it all together. Didn't feel like it had zing to it or whatever you want to call it. Just, it just, you know, it's like, okay, I'm here. And so when they arrived at the venue, they're outside of the building now. They parked their car facing the door of this, uh, I, I think it might have been a church, I don't know. Um, they're facing the door in the car, and they pray together. And they're praying, God, help us. I, I need to be able to hear your voice in this. I need to be able to know you're with me. God, I don't feel good about this. Can you help me? And as they were praying, he opened his eyes, and right in front of him were three geese. I'm trying to remember, do you say three gooses or three geese? Three geese walking towards the door. And his wife is still praying, and he starts to laugh. And she says, what? Said, Did you see that? He goes, yeah, three geese. So what? We live on a farm. We see geese and ducks 
and squirrels and deer and cows and pigs all the time. So what? He goes, I know, but when I just saw them, I felt like Father, God drops in my heart, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going before me. Just a simple little thing. Silly. But it was God's way of communicating with him that I'm with you. When I speak of love notes, I can't help but think of my own wife. Um, when we were dating, it was in days when there wasn't texting and Skype and email. There was none of that stuff. You had phones that still hung on the walls with a long cord if you were lucky. Um, but we would write notes, but that's not what I'm talking about. There was one occasion in my life, we were just talking about it the other night. Um, there was one occasion in my life, and again, when you're raised in a large family, we had, like, you guys know, a uh, total of 13 kiddos. Um, when you're raised in a large family, things are, I think, often sometimes more limited. And so birthdays were never that big of a deal. You had your birthday, your mom would make you a cake, everybody would sing happy birthday to you, you'd eat your cake, and then you'd go back to work. Because we lived on a farm, you had to work. Stuff had to be done. It was springtime, stuff had to be planted. Uh, so birthdays were never a huge deal. Well, Karen got permission from the dean of our Bible college to go into my room, my dorm room, when no one was there, and she put all of these little cards around my room, hidden away, hidden, you know, like under the pillow or in my Bible or something like that. And in each card was a note from her, and each card represented a year. So like she started with, congratulations, you had a baby, to one-year-old to two-year-old, each card had like a number on it kind of thing, all the way up to that my present age at that time. And she hid them around the room as love notes to me. Um, I've had to travel, like this year going to China and Vietnam, I've had to travel without my wife. And one of the things I have learned to look forward to is I know that whenever I get where I'm going and I open my luggage, somewhere secreted in my luggage is a packet of love notes. And there's one for every single day that I'm going to be away. And by the way, <laughs> didn't expect that kind of response. This year, I did the same for her. No, 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 no. Don't say, ah, oh. it was an abysmal failure. <laughs> her notes are, I'm praying for you, and God gave me this scripture for you for today. And she's writing all these nice, loving notes to me. Mine were, today I'm in such and such a place, and you're going to the therapist for this date, so have fun. <laughs> Mine was a schedule. Hers were notes. But I tried. I want to suggest to you today that we have to learn to act upon the nudges of God. Um, recently, a dear friend of ours uh, discovered that she had a cyst on her brain. And they had to have surgery. It was very, very serious. And we're still praying for her. Uh, but Karen, who knew about it, had been communicating with the family. Because, again, they're longtime friends. Uh, she was in our wedding. Um, she communicated with another friend who hadn't heard. And that friend said something like this. I checked with Karen to make sure I got it close. She said this, I need to learn to trust the nudges of God more because I thought about this woman and her health just this past week and just prayed a general prayer but didn't follow up on it or anything. 
How many of you think that maybe when God brought that woman's name to this other friend's mind that maybe he was telling her to do something? How many of you have ever had God drop a name in your heart or mind? Just out of nowhere. Maybe you know you hadn't been thinking about him, and just suddenly you think about it. And you're like, I wonder. Uh, maybe it's to call somebody. Maybe it's to write a letter, a note. Maybe go and talk with someone or pray for someone or, or maybe make them a plate of hot chocolate chip cookies. Whatever it is that God brings to your mind, Just saying. Um, we have to learn to act upon the nudges because this is what happens. When you act upon the love notes of God, it's like the kingdom of God begins to open to you. You feel more connected, more aware, and more a part of what God is doing. It wasn't all that long ago that I was driving on my way to Rochester to visit Brother Veach, who's in the nursing home up there, and God brought a specific brother's name to my mind. It had happened several times over a couple of weeks, and he did it again. And I prayed for him, but it just kept weighing on me, and so I decided to do what is unusual for me. I went ahead and used my headset and called him. And I somewhat abashedly said, you know, hi, brother, how you doing? Just... You are on my heart and mind, and you have been for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and I just wanted to check in with you. Everything okay? His response honestly blew me away, because at first he was just really quiet, and I almost hung up. I almost thought, okay, he thinks I'm just a creep, uh, just, you know, you're like, you know, what are you, stalking or something? This is weird. But then he said this. He said, you could not believe how timely this call is. He said, I've been sitting in my office right now as a pastor, thinking that maybe this whole thing called ministry just is not worth it at all, and I'm thinking about quitting. And I want to thank you for calling me. Maybe I can get back in the saddle. Now, i got to tell you, I am one of the most uh, clueless people in life because I am so goal-oriented, so destination-driven. I'm not good at this. But every once in a while, we have to stop and say, God, are you trying to say something to me? Or are you trying to say something through me? Because as fun as it is to receive love notes from God for you, it is sometimes even more fun to believe that God might actually make you be a love note to someone else. His love note, and you get to be the postman, or the postwoman, as the case might be. Postperson, to be politically correct. What I'm asking us today is to become more aware of God's activity in our lives on an everyday basis and be more open to the nudges of the Holy Spirit that God might actually use you to minister his life, his hope, his healing to somebody else. Scripture, I want to read. I've referred to others, but let me read this one. I think you guys might be aware of this scripture. You tell me. And we know (coughs) that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. How many of you know that verse? Verses. Where is it? Romans 8, 28 and 29. Most of us know 28. 
we don't go on to 29, which is equally important. But I would suggest to you that the key words in there are all things. And here's how I've always taken that. I've always taken it, all right, God, I have to wait until everything that you want to have happen. It's kind of like God's making this huge soup, and we have to wait until all the ingredients are in it, and once they're all there, then God will finally work something good out of it. I don't know that that's what it means at all. I think it means that in all things, everything that's happening, God has the ability to work good in it, in your life right now. It's not a matter of getting a whole bunch of stuff together. It's taking all that stuff that happens and seeing God in the midst of it. Because otherwise, it feels like agony. It feels like drudgery while you're waiting. I believe, and this is my final statement to you today, that God is way more present to our lives than we might imagine. I think God might actually speak to you through your marriage, through your children, through your boss, through your co-workers, through your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think God wants to meet with us and is already inviting us through love notes far more than what we've been aware. And so my challenge to you today is very simple, but I think it's profound. I think it can change how you live life. Can you become more and more aware, asking God daily, help me to see you today? Every morning when you get up, you you take your feet, you put them out onto the floor. Before you move, say, God, help me to become more aware of you today. In the small things and in the big things, help me to become more aware of you. Would you stand with me? And again, God willing, who knows, next week, all things remaining equal and working well, we will do another science experiment to reveal what I believe is another biblical truth that is essential in our faith and in our walk with him. Would you bow your heads? Very simple word today. Seeing God in the everyday. Father, uh, I thank you for the way in which you have spoken to me through the years. Sometimes it's been through your written word, and it becomes more than just words. It becomes your voice to me. Sometimes it's through the preached word. And Lord, I can't tell you how many times I feel like what they're preaching is your exact words to me at that moment. But Lord, sometimes you speak to me through others, through people, through friends, through my family, through circumstances. You're trying to send a love note to me. And Lord, sometimes I've been blind to it, and I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to live so busy getting somewhere that I miss the joy of being on the way. Not in the way, but on the way. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to help me and to help us to very simply become more aware of you today and more aware of you each day as we walk with you. In the little serendipities of life that we can see the hand, the footprint, the voice of God and that we can be encouraged because we have become more and more aware of you. 
Lord, you didn't wind this world up and say, good luck, everybody. You have been and remain intimately involved in every aspect. Lord, help each one to become more aware, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. The Lord bless each of you. Become more aware of him. God bless you.